What's up, y'all? This your boy Desmond, and it's Michael, and this is Channel Noir, the channel for your listening pleasure. We are two African American men here at Kansas State University, here to discuss pop culture, things we feel in life, things that's going on in the world, and yeah, what's going on, Mike? You know, um, nothing much. You know, just life. Yeah, casually living. You know, things are great. Um, this semester. I'm just ready for it to be over. I feel it's that. like senioritis. Mm. I think that's what I'm feeling right now. Mm. Um, I saw somebody tweet that was just like, "I'm just done with school. Like I don't have the motivation to keep, you know, like to finish school." And I, I'm I'm feeling that. Yeah. Like, I'm just feeling that. How you I'm, feeling? I'm here with you, man. Senioritis is something else. I'm ready to go. <laughs> ready to get on out of here. Ready to go, little old Manhattan, Kansas. All right. All right. So I heard you finally got the chance to watch Beyonce. I have. Indeed, I have. Homecoming, homecoming, homecoming. Can we talk about this piece of legendary, cinematic gold that's going to be, like, passed down from generations and generations Mm -hmm. and generations? Like, this is going to be something when I turned 50 years old and I have grandkids mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, this is what we watching. Yeah. This is the performance of all performances. This is, I don't know if you remember, there used to be this Michael Jackson concert that went crazy. Mm-hmm. And people, would, there was a uh, a DVD that everyone bought that even my mom had that she would play every now and then. It was just huge performance. And this, Homecoming, is like it's like that but for our generation. <sighs> because like... It it goes so crazy. Like I've never been so proud of as a black person yeah. watching like watching Beyonce perform and how she connected the numbers and then she uh, put in the Negro national anthem and broke it down. And the fun, the funny thing is like you have these white people watching. It's like did she did she just drop a new song? I don't know why people thought that was a new song. I think there was black people that thought there was a new song. I'm like y'all need to get cultured on this. Black National Anthem, y'all. For real. What is going on? And then how she tied it in with Freedom. Oh, man. And, oh, my. So like, amazing. And then the outfits. She gave you the whole HBCU experience. I love it. The whole HBCU experience. The whole homecoming it. experience. Yeah. Like, she gave you the outfit. She gave you the majorette. She gave you the mm-hmm. drum line. She gave you the um, people on the cymbals. She gave you drum majors. She gave, gave you the entire shebang. The whole band. The, the whole, whole band. And she's the drum major. Band and then did the swag shirt. <laughs> and then did the swag shirt. Oh, yeah. oh my god. It was so clean too. I just the choreography in this entire thing, it's probably my favorite part. And I'm a music guy. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I'm a huge music head. I love Beyonce's music. But the choreography was going so crazy to me. I was like, what am I watching right now? Every time the like, twins is on stage, it's just oh, like what are you goodness. what is what is going on? This isn't fair. Beyonce, and this isn't fair. It's not fair at all. And you know, the fun part is I couldn't imagine being one of those chosen black people. Right? Mm. Imagine being chosen to come to this whatever. And it's like, all right, so you tell your friends, I'm dropping out for a semester to mm. like go intern for Beyonce because that's basically what you did. Ooh. They had She had all these young people where, somewhere for four months learning this entire routine. I know. They probably didn't. They probably slept together, ate together. You know what I mean? Like imagine they all how live this, that is. Like all in this cave. All of these people our age, crazy together, creative people, bro. They're like also talented. singers, like singers, musicians, dancers, dancers yeah. every everything. Yeah, in the same room to to showcase their art. Imagine just like the type of like they all in one room. The type of ciphers they be having, like yeah. just just random, just Insane, like man. That, that's a journey. Like the things I would have done to be a saxophone 
<laughs> in this production, just chilling with Beyonce, telling her telling me what to do. <laughs> I would have loved it. And I think and that also goes and talked about like Beyonce's work ethic. Like yeah. everyone that worked with her says like I've never worked with someone more driven, more dedicated. Yeah. And how amazing it was for Beyonce just just like I'm gonna let these young people mm-hmm. do what they want to do. It's crazy how detailed she was too. Yes. Especially given, you know, she said how she always wanted to go to HBCU, you know, but she couldn't, you know what I mean? She yeah. didn't go to high school. And how Destiny's Child was What's in college. Her, yeah. And so I thought it was crazy how how she was able to capture what she wanted to capture, her technically not experiencing it herself, you know what I mean? Because she talked about, like, performing or practicing at TSU and these other schools down in Texas. And so she used to see that and go to the homecoming and stuff yeah. like that. And I, don't know, I just think it's... It's crazy because you don't see that a lot. Not in older people like Beyonce's old, but like she's 38, mm-hmm. right? But like a lot of people don't see us, especially older, like people don't see us as like creatively open. And and to have her in this documentary talk about like how crazy dope that they are and swag and how cool that they are and the different random arts and talents that they have so, and creative they are and the yeah. haircuts and like the dress and performance yeah because of course you're like watching beyonce the whole time but then you're watching everyone around her at the same time you know what i mean it's just like every yeah. i think everybody's beautiful like everyone just at the rawest state of blackness mm-hmm. right and it's just like she said i want y'all to do what they want and it's parts of the performance where you can see them just like freestyling yeah and i can um, imagine like beyonce at like practice or rehearsal or something mm-hmm. it's just like Y'all not letting loose. Like, y'all not 100% like yeah. being yourself. Yeah. And to see them on the stage and everyone is literally having fun. Like, yeah. it doesn't look like a gig. It doesn't look like they paid you to be here. Like, everyone is living their best life on stage. Sensational. I can't even. Yeah. It's amazing. I have no words, honestly, because it's a coming of age documentary, man. I've never seen anything like it. And it's really cool. Like, it's just humbling to hear her. She said, I want everyone to feel like they belong. I want everyone to be their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. And I think that just goes to show that, like, when people are being their authentic selves, mm-hmm. then nothing can, like nothing but beauty is going to come out of that. Like, yeah. once you start trying to put everybody in this box and in this category of, like, what they are, what you want them to be, or what they should be, yeah. then Especially it's, like, chaos. I feel like all these black young black professionals – have never been in a setting like this around other black professionals, right? Mm. A lot of them probably come from places where um, they're constantly dealing with microaggressions, or you know what I mean? They're they're probably, some of them are in a, not corporate, but even in the dance world or the music world, they probably work with, you know what I mean, people that don't look like them. And so Beyonce put them in this room, and I think their potential was being pushed. You know, I I don't know how to explain that, like, when when they were around other people, of course they were amazing and sensational, right? But now you're in this room of people who look like you, whose talent goes above and beyond. So now you're being pushed to the max. And it's like not even being pushed to the max, max, but being pushed to the max of being your true authentic self, yeah, right? Because exactly. now you don't you're not competing against people who not even competing, but you're not in a room with people who don't look like you. Yeah. As in like y'all have different, you mm-hmm. know, goals to meet, but like as a black person, like, you get me. Like, you, we get each other. And we can push each other to be the blackest, the best, the mm-hmm. the coolest of us all. And it just create this space, I don't know, just, just creative, like, cosmos yeah. of greatness. I just think it's really cool that Beyonce used this platform to, like, not only just showcase blackness, yeah. but, like, put it at the forefront. Like, singing, the, I don't know, I just think that's a... <laughs> a power move to sing the national black anthem. It's crazy to think that she was the first African American woman to headline Coachella. Coachella how yeah. did that? How long? How old is Coachella? <sighs> Let's Google it. I also need to see previous Coachella uh, headliners. Headliner. I, you know, it's so funny because be, before Beyonce headlining it, I didn't know Coachella had headline performances. I just thought they had like mm-hmm. their big names. No, yeah, they always had, and then a the headline. smaller names under the bigger names. Yeah, they always had a headline. Even though you might have seen a flyer like that, then the person that was first was probably the headliner. Headliner. Mm -hmm. So Coachella has been going on since 1999. Okay. It's not that old. And then 2001 and Pregnant. Yeah. So it's not super old. 
but like people don't and i had somebody like compare it to uh black panther other mm. day and i was like as far as like what it meant for black people and mm-hmm. to me it's the same but not in the same category yeah like black panther to me was so important because it was it represented like i saw myself as a superhero right yeah. and that's what that meant to me it, it was more of like representation in ways that we've never seen it beyonce was more so of like showcasing it mm-hmm. it wasn't just like it wasn't just showcase it wasn't just um her having a representative of like somebody who looked like me mm-hmm. because everybody on their stage looked like me yeah. in their true authentic glory yeah like hair just like costumes and everything was true black beauty mm-hmm. but like that was really showcasing and promoting blackness right mm-hmm. straight at the forefront so whereas black panther was like okay i finally see myself on tv mm-hmm. it was like actually seeing myself on tv no, and real. showing you everything about me and my culture yeah i like how they complement each other too i like how both exist you mm-hmm. know you need both to exist yeah i've never seen again i've never seen a stage or anything where of course black people will be on stage black people might headline the stage but i've never seen a stage so big where blackness is being displayed constantly throughout the entire thing like if you really had to name the show other than homecoming you know what i mean mm-hmm. it'd be called like i don't know hbcu blackness <laughs> or, <laughs> blackness. or something you know what i'm saying that's just different and i think it's also pretty cool too because like i'm in in a black twitter or black area you're you're seeing this whole hbcu versus pwi right yeah and i think this beyonce did another good job with this is getting like all black students right mm-hmm. not just your 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 students or your black people from HBCUs, but from PWIs, from mm-hmm. all, all across. And I think this was a really, really good, like, you like unity, yeah. right? Like, even in the documentary or on Twitter, nowhere, you didn't see that. This like, the first time I didn't see the HBCU versus PWI debate. Yeah, for sure. Like, can you be, I don't know, authentic in your blackness at a PWI versus, you know, at HBCU, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really good to see, like, to to shift that narrative of like, because they have this scene um, in the documentary, and it's the guy he got who's like, "All right, how many of y'all in college or whatever? Or like, what college it was from?" And it was just like you can see the students from different universities and yeah. stuff like that. And I think that's important too, because this is like the first time anything about HBCUs or was brought up, and I did not see that debate of HBCUs versus PWI. Mm-hmm. I, I also think, think that's it's important. crazy informative. You know how many people don't know what a HBCU is? I've met people here, black people at K-State, who have no idea what HBCU is. And Beyonce, of course, has a platform. She can say anything. Everyone anything. will know what she's saying. So even to do an entire performance on an HBCU, I bet you so many people know what H- I, I bet you HBCU attendance goes up next year just off Beyonce alone. There's probably about to be so many juniors and seniors, black kids applying to HBCUs and next then, year. Even because she has so many documentaries like HBCUs are – important and deserve to be protected or yeah. something like that. It's really mm-hmm. cool. But this reminds me of um council culture. Ooh. Um I saw a tweet, I don't know if I sent it to you or not, but it was like, if Beyonce says something homophobic, would y'all cancel her? Oh, I did see that. <laughs> and all the gays was like, No, we're council instead of <laughs> sorry, yeah, we're council being homosexual instead of counseling Beyonce. And I and I think that's like kind of something that's interesting to digest uh we talk about council culture a lot of yeah. like someone messing up it's toxic yeah cancel culture is super toxic i used to like be on this wave of cancel culture but because especially because it seemed like the trend over the last two years you know what i mean like oh somebody said this they're canceled mm-hmm. sabrina claudio i don't know said something back <laughs> in the day yeah. she's canceled scissor said I don't know. SZA had some homophobic tweets back to, back in like 2009 or 2010 or something, uh-huh. and then she got canceled. And See, I don't remember about the SZA one. Yeah, and I, the reason I used to be on the wave just because as young black people, we I like the idea that we were going to be on this wave that we were erase you know all negativity from our lives, and I understand not wanting to have to deal with someone who may be problematic. You know what I mean, like. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people to protect their peace, and I'm here for it. Mm. But I also believe in some regards 
this same idea of cancel culture kind of ruins what it means to be human. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, why can't I mess up, apologize, learn from my mistakes, learn from my mistakes, apologize again, and people accept that. You know what I mean? I don't, I guess, I don't know. I don't understand why cancel culture is so unforgiving. And, you know, (laughs) I think that's really interesting, too, because I'm with you on the whole fact, like, as humans we make mistakes and also as humans we learn from our mistakes and we grow Mm -hmm. right so i am one for like i'm one for allowing space to grow and allowing space to you know be a better human yeah but i'm also i i believe in i believe in council culture when it comes to like repeat offenders right oh yeah like Like r kelly's canceled like 100 percent. he will always be canceled you know what i mean 100 percent. right but yeah, so the, and, and you're right. I do think cancel culture is toxic. Like I, I don't think it allows rooms to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, f- funny story. So one of my advisors for UPC was talking about um, the whole like TP USA thing, mm-hmm. right? And she was she was interested. She was like, okay, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go listen to like one of these podcasts where they come on and just talk stuff on, right? And it was like the left, they're too quick to cancel people, mm. and. So the left, they over, they over there, you know, someone make a mistake, they yeah. counsel you. And so you counsel this p- person so publicly, now everyone who is either following that person mm-hmm. or thinking about trying to figure out which side to go, they're just left confused because now they don't, they say the left don't allow room to grow and to like fix their mistakes. Yeah. And so the right is capitalizing on that by giving people the freedom to, say and do whatever they want to do yeah and then if they mess up or say something down the line with whatever they think about they teach them like how to like not mess up again or ways that what they did is wrong interesting and so people and so they have all these people flocking to their side mm. because they're the left or the snowflakes or whatever you want to call us it's like we're too busy counseling people mm. yeah and the and the right is getting all of these people by numbers like and if you want to look at examples like the black conservative movement yeah like what they call it blexit the black exit mm-hmm. um and all of these black people are leaving i don't know traditional liberal ideologies yeah. and going to right because they feel like i don't know that's what's best for them mm. and it's because the right apparently just a give you space to create whatever you want to create which makes sense why like a lot of people on the right don't always agree with the same thing right like especially a lot of like black people who are who identify as conservatives like a lot of them identify as conservative because it's personal growth right yeah like one girl i was watching a video and she was like it allows me to bring my family out the hood i teach them how to get their own money but the legal way and et cetera et cetera like that where a lot of us left people we have a lot of like a collective like we think about a community before we you know a lot of times before we just think about ourselves yeah it makes a lot of sense and so it's crazy to think about that the right is collecting all these people Mm -hmm. that we're canceling and i don't know it's just i don't know it's just goes to show that one thing that my advisor said was that the right or more conservative way of thinking people are giving away their secrets. <laughs> We're just not listening. Yeah. They do do that all the time. I wonder if it's weird that we're like that or just that the left is like that in general. It's almost like we're so busy. We're so busy worrying about other people that we don't care about the growth of ourselves sometimes. Does that make sense? Like we're so busy thinking about the collective, you know what I mean? How can we push the whole agenda versus one person's or you know what I mean mm-hmm. my agenda and I uh, and I, I'm guilty of that too right like yeah. and I talk about this a lot like I'm very much guilty of thinking about somebody else before I think about myself and I think that's a good thing yeah but I also think it's healthy to be critical of things that we think we hold so dear and to try to figure out ways that we can fix those mm-hmm. um, I don't know council culture is very that's why it's so messed up though right cause it's like Imagine if you got a D on the test, right? Okay. And then you got kicked out of college. <laughs> Most people would be like, damn, all I did was mess up. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you'd be like, dang, I messed up. But I didn't get kicked out of college. I get to try better next time. Mm-hmm. Cancel culture doesn't allow for any of that. You don't have 
that second chance. <laughs> a lot of times, like you're done. That's it. Meanwhile, the writers over here are saying C's get degrees, right? <laughs> and they're like, all right, we can get you to a C, mm-hmm. and then you can start formulating your own path and figure out how you can yeah. do better. Or yeah, depending on the situation, some people deserve you know high consequences, right? Um, when it comes to cancel culture, but I believe in the pop culture sense. Uh, most notably, what well, usually happens to be musicians, apparently. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be musicians a lot of times. I believe most people come from a good place. You know what I mean? They want to change. And a lot of them admit they messed up. Uh, som- but sometimes people don't know how to apologize. Honestly, that's where they get in trouble. Of course, if you don't say sorry, you might stay c- canceled. <laughs> you know True. what I mean? But it's almost like fighting fire with fire to get someone fired. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. makes sense? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> Yeah. That was a cool little tongue twister. <laughs> All right. So I got, I got a question, maybe. I don't know if this is a question. So how do you how do you feel about white people who pick and choose parts of the culture that they want to relate to? And mm. and to give you more examples. So I was <laughs> I was at a friend's house and you know, this guy comes over and I'm gonna give you the entire the entire scenario so yeah. you can see where what happened to me. Alright, so this past weekend I was at a friend's house and we was eating Popeyes. And I finished it, I, I couldn't finish all of it. And so I was like, I'm done with this Popeyes, anybody can have it they want it. So this white dude that I've only met once, you know, mm-hmm. he was like, um, oh, I miss hanging around black people. As soon as I, as soon as I said, like, you know, I'm done with my chicken. If y'all want to, you know, come get it. And I don't know if this was like a coincidence or it's just what you know mm-hmm. he was thinking. And he was just like, yeah, I miss hanging around black people. And I was like, I mean, yeah, we're pretty cool. Like, you know, I, I get it. <laughs> and he was like, no, like, back home, I only hang around black people. Like, mm-hmm. this is that's it. And so, like, then he dives into his phone and he goes on this like searching spree mm-hmm. and so i'm looking at like i'm looking at my friends i'm just like okay cool like whatever and so we started talking about something else and he's like look these are all my friends and it's like a picture of him and all these like really like raunchy looking black dudes like and i was like okay okay cool and so i asked him i said would you ever date a black dude mm. and he was like no he instead no like it was no like it was no thinking about it it was just no and he continued to look like Go back to his phone looking for more pictures. And so this is my issue with the situation. It's not any of the stereotypes. It's not any of the needing to validate, you know, his black friends to me. Mm-hmm. None of that really bothers me. But the part that bothers me is when he said that he wouldn't date a black guy. Yeah. And it's not that, like, I was interested in him at all. It's yeah. not that I thought it was cute. It's not none of that. It mm-hmm. was that, like... To me, it's dehumanizing when you pick parts of me or yeah. parts of my culture that you can identify with, mm-hmm. but we're not good enough to be, I don't know, on the same equal as equal as you. Yeah. Like, not just dating you, but like equal, seen as equal as you. And I can, and that goes into this whole debate about preferences, right? Uh-huh. Like, I'm just not into black dudes but that doesn't or black women like to me that doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. i am not a monomaly of the entire black race right like right. now if you say i'm not into you because of this this and that cool but when you say oh um my bad i'm not into black guys what does that mean Ooh. i think the term for that is racial fetishism if i'm correct yikes yeah uh so I think white people have been doing this for a very long time, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Racial fetishism, of course, is when you take um, or, or when you find pleasure in a different culture for some very specific reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think he's picky, choosy. I, I know it may be far-fetched, but maybe because he might be a little racist. Like, imagine or just think about how throughout history white people have pick and choose what they wanted, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make you a slave, but your women are sexy to me, so I'm going to rape them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like a, it's this weird dynamic. You know, we're not here for white people's pleasure. 
and that's kind of what it feels like your friend does he likes everything but the idea of you know what i mean being with a black man you know i don't and to me that's the the fucked up part about it it's like it's what makes it dehumanizing is that like one it's the example i gave it's like it's like you meet me before you meet me Mm -hmm. so you have this idea of me that you don't like that's distasteful that's ugly that's unappealing to you before you even see who i am Mm -hmm. and this is why this is what i've been thinking a lot lately is i was gonna tweet about this but i said i guess i just wait to the show it's like Every decision that I make has to do with my skin tone. Anybody that think that I can make a decision that does that has nothing to do with my skin tone yes. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because of this simple fact, like him, this guy was like, I wouldn't. He would never date a black dude. Bec- yeah. Why? Like it's because I'm 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 brown. Yeah. Like I can't. How do you like everything else but that? Exactly. But besides that, I'm I'm a man. I'm a human. Yeah. Um. You know what I'm saying? I have feelings. I have emotions. I like to give. You know what I'm saying? Like I have different traits as like as a regular human right Mm -hmm. and so this is my whole issue with preferences because i had to work on this right Mm -hmm. like preferences to me it's not a a racial group a racial ethnic group that's not it's not a preference to me yeah that doesn't make sense a preference to me is like oh i like tall guys or tall girls or short guys or brown hair or this or that Mm -hmm. because to me i had to work on my preferences i had to talk about why i don't like oh why don't I like shorter guys? Like, yeah. And I had to deal with that. Like I have to yeah. like see it, deal with it. And then now it's not, that's no longer like an issue for me because I dealt with those preferences direct, right. Mm-hmm. Of being tall or being, you know, bigger or smaller or skinnier or athletic. Yeah. Those are preferences to me. I don't mm-hmm. think my skin tone should ever be an excuse to say, Oh, you're just not my type because you're, I'm not into black guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I crazy? Because to me, that doesn't make sense. Because it's like, before you even met me, you already don't like me. And it doesn't feel good to be fetishized. It doesn't feel good to be fetishized. And not saying that, like, I feel fetishized all the time because to I've both have happened to me. Like, I've been in a situation where it was, I don't know, I was dealing with this guy and he got very, everything wasn't just what it was it was black was in front of it It was like oh you have sexy big black lips Mm -hmm. or you have a sexy black you know every the word black was in front of every adjective you could use to describe me yeah and so that also doesn't feel good but like this whole situation of like picking and choosing which part of my culture or my identity that you can identify identify with is very dehumanizing this i don't know what you what i think this objectification historically comes from the idea of black people being entertainment mm. right mm. so it seems like he wanted just the entertainment kind of he was like i miss black people why you miss black people well, i got these black friends they're funny they in the hood it's almost like not necessarily a culture vulture but a culture you know what I mean? Participator. Like, he just wants to be. And again, through history, it's almost like white people love black music. White people love hip hop. Hip hop drives this country, right? If it wasn't for hip hop, I'm pretty sure it's like the number one, one of the number one exports in American mm-hmm. history is hip hop. And you can't do that without black people. And it's like, it's like he has this, I don't know, this feeling deep down where that entertainment is getting back at him, right? So black people listen to black music all day. But then something happens in the world. Mike Brown happens, or you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Black Lives Matter happens, and, and then it's disassociate. silence. Or if you ever seen a Kendrick Lamar concert, right? All Right was playing, and I'm going, yeah, all right. And then the word nigga was in there, and he heard white people say nigga, and he's like, whoa, all right now. This is the one thing in our culture, you know what I mean? Have, that yeah. you can't have. So, yeah, it just feels like to me, I think he falls in line with that entertainment aspect where he just wants. In my mind, a lot of times when it comes to, uh, I guess, you know how you said preference, racial Mm -hmm. preference, I guess. It's almost like the things you value, right? Mm. And I think I always think the person, the people or the race that you um, are attracted to a lot of times, a lot of it comes from the values you have, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like this man specifically 
he might he maybe doesn't value the black body. He values the black culture in other ways. And to add on to that too, is that like I feel like especially in minority groups who identify as white, as in like trans or gay or any type of sexual minority or things like that. I feel like also hang out with black people too because black people are more accepting. Yeah. Like of those type of things. Mm-hmm. Especially to white people. Yeah. Um and so like yeah, we accepted you. We taught you, you know, that it's okay to be yourself and things like that. And sometimes, except like I think in the black church. But I also okay, and this is this is where I agree and disagree. Like I feel like black people are way harsher on black people than we are to white people. Mm. So like I feel like being black and gay in in the black community is been is seen different than being white and gay yeah because i feel like white is the ultimate trump card and 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 we can we can go down on this like Mm -hmm. history of like this systematic internalized racism and where we see um white people as always being like i don't know the standard of course so so things that apply to a white gay male will not apply to a black gay male Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so we we see that differently Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah but that's a whole nother subject on its own but I mentioned something earlier about like my skin tone affects every decision that I make mm-hmm. and sometimes like <laughs> like sometimes I be feeling like I'm crazy because I've been hearing some people talk and they be making me feel like if I really just said what was on my mind they would really think that I'm always playing a race card I'm like, but that's not really true because I feel like literally my skin tone play a role in every decision I make. Yeah. In the clothes that I wear, sure. in the words that come out of my mouth, how I talk to people, mm-hmm. when and when not I get discomfort. And when I when I'm when and when not I'm comfort. Like I was talking to you earlier about um my white friend. Like, am I mad at their whiteness or am I mad at them? been just a human mm-hmm. and i separate the two because as black people we're taught to be hyper aware of everything that we're around right yeah. so when we enter white spaces we're super aware of the people around us how we act how we dress how we could be perceived mm-hmm. but when it seems like and then that and then when it seems like a white space into a black space they're not the same they're comfortable because black people make them comfortable because we have taught our entire life to assimilate into white culture yep so i had a conversation with my friend to break down this sense of uncom- like being uncomfortable in the black space. Uh-huh. Like, why are you uncomfortable? And it was just like, I don't know, just like, you know, I my first time feeling like the minority. And I was like, but that's not really that's not really the the case. Like, you're not really yeah a minority just, in this room just, yeah. because we understand. I wouldn't say your culture because that's not all in, all um, encompassing, uh-huh. but like we understand not what it's like to be white but we kind of understand the experience because that's what we're used to right when we come to a school system that assimilates us into a certain way of thought or thinking Uh when that may be the opposite of how we learn or hanging out with white people so we don't so we can seem more likable and attractable um talking different so we can be more liked by you Mm -hmm. so when you come into our space what makes you uncomfortable is it like because we are being our true authentic selves and you may not get some of the references yeah. is it our skin tone is it do are we do are we do we seem aggressive and things like that sometimes i think it is a shock well of course and i, and no. I would not like I, I would not say like it's not a shock i can yeah. i can understand why you're being uncomfortable yeah. Yeah. but and and this is where my situation come in is it's like am i mad at you for at your whiteness yeah for interrupting my black time uh-huh. and me as your wife as as your black friend you know believed enough in you to bring you to spaces you know that needed there in my heart and things like that mm-hmm. where like i would sacrifice for you um and things like that but would you sacrifice for me so is this is this your whiteness that i'm mad at or is this you you that i'm mad at does that make sense yeah i know i get it i guess sometimes they can be related <laughs> sometimes they can be the same thing unfortunately and i feel like and i feel like this is not just one particular like yeah, instance. I feel like this happened all the time. All the time. Like I'm sure it's plenty of white people. Like I have a lot of white friends. So yeah. all my white friends and we have a lot of white listeners that listen to Channel Noir. Uh-huh. But I don't know. 
anybody who's white who has black friends, just know that your black friends have thought about this. Like, are they are they mad at you or they mad at your whiteness? And sometimes, and this is not something that you should be, you know, like scared of or like afraid of. And don't. And if you're listening, if anybody listens to this, don't ask me if this has ever have ever happened between us because it probably has. Um, (laughs) And where I had to like think about like, am I mad because of your whiteness? We could could be synonymous for like ignorance yeah or you know quirky or whatever yeah that's just not you know norm in a black setting mm-hmm. and so yeah and feel free to like if you have any thoughts <laughs> on this because this is literally just me throwing out how i feel but yeah definitely let us know yeah for sure but how do you feel about like Especially since you're a darker dude, how do you feel like your skin tone like affects the decision that you make? Um, like you said, no matter what space I go into, I have to think about it. And so I remember you you said something how you felt like, um, or somebody said, no matter when you bring something up that's bothering you, mm-hmm. that they think that you're like race baiting. Mm-hmm. But unf- I don't I don't want to call it race baiting, but unfortunately we have to think like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like we have to address the things that happen to us in a mindset that our skin tone played a part because mm-hmm. it is really it's really important of course that we address that you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i can't sit here in a room and you said something that felt like a microaggression and i just ignore it <laughs> because because and i ignore it because if i do say something you're going to be like stop race baiting or you know what i mean it's not about race but maybe it is it's a test of your social capital yeah and and that's that's honestly that's the best way to describe it like mm-hmm. social capital how much social capital are you willing to lose mm-hmm. based on this particular situation yeah so like i mean a situation for example like a couple of podcasts ago we talked about makaya's blog mm-hmm um and the whole inward situation in a group chat. Mm-hmm. How much if you was Makai in this situation, how much social capital would you be willing to lose by either speaking up or saying something yeah. or leaving the group chat or doing whatever? Yeah, that's real. I I would've been ready to risk it all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> that's just me. But people are different. I think a lot of times the activists are the people who are ready to risk it all a lot yeah. of times. You know, they're always ready to say those things in those uncomfortable spaces. Yeah, it is. It was. It's weird thinking about how, like you said, a, a white person can be in a room and feel like a minority, it's, and it's it's so crazy because by year twenty forty, right, white people will no longer be the majority in the country, mm-hmm. and they're scared. Scared. It's Why, would you, scared? Why <laughs> would you be scared? Why would you be? It's almost like minorities are treated different in this country. Why else would you be scared? And that goes into. <laughs> <laughs> why I don't? You know what I mean? I don't understand why. Ooh. It goes into the complacency, right? Like the whole like Jay Elliott when she talked did the whole like brown eyes and and blue eyes and brown eyes test. Yeah. And where no one none of the on the kids and no one and she asked him why kids would you want to be treated like how black people are treated? Mm. And none of them said no. I mean all of them said no. Yeah. And none of them said and she asked why? And it was like because we they're not treated the best. Like we don't treat them the best. And it's just like since you're acknowledging that like why aren't you doing anything different yeah yeah i remember it was also like an entire it was this in, entire documentary she did and she she's one of the okay that's a co-conspirator right there for but, real <laughs> she'd be really out here teaching and it's so interesting to see how people are okay with it i don't know maybe we're not maybe black people aren't human enough to care damn yeah or they don't yeah or they just don't care about us period mm-hmm we're gonna let that we're gonna let that breathe cause like I forgot what I was about to say no we're gonna let that breathe cause like the thoughts of like people not really caring about us is crazy but like and to and to me we're shown every day that people don't really care about this mm-hmm. and like and I hate I hate to say that because that like overshadows the people who do care about this and it's a lot of people especially white people who listen to this podcast they really care about this yeah but like it's a lot of people who really don't care about this and it and it reflect in like the resolutions and policies and things that people mm-hmm. are passing in our legislative branch or in our government every day. Yeah. And I was thinking about how you said, you know what I mean, snowflakes maybe aren't as forgiving or mm-hmm. but 
snowflakes i like how i like how ambitious they are mm-hmm. i like how they will call out people in the room or call out the the wrong things that they do say right i heard something that said you know a bunch of snowflakes put together is really an avalanche like <laughs> go off <laughs> yeah if all these people are mad about like snowflakes bring it up you know what i mean there ain't yeah. no ain't no elephant in the room hello <laughs> ain't no elephant in the room because they're gonna talk about it so so you heard about niger shelby oh man so for those who don't know niger shelby is a 15 year old at who was at huntsville high school who committed suicide because he was bullied for being gay and this happened what this past week or so i think it happened literally like this past saturday or friday which is just really sad and we talked about this a few episodes ago yeah about like bullying bullying in bullying in in schools and like how how middle schoolers are the cruelest of them all yeah no for sure well actually he's a ninth grade i think he's a freshman in high school yeah yeah I guess that is close. You know what I mean? They probably got some residual bullying from the eighth grade <laughs> that they got For sure. that they got left over. Um, this is so so sad, man. It and it's so hard for it not to piss you off. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, there's a statistic where 74 percent of the LGBTQ youth uh, report that they're not feeling safe in schools that they attend. And we have to do better. Uh, I wonder if school systems. Remember 13 Reasons Why? Have you seen 13 mm-hmm. Reasons Why? I'm mm-hmm. sure everyone watched 13 Reasons Why. I feel like these kids aren't watching it, though. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Because they don't want to see that. Like Because 13 Reasons Why, I think, is revolutionary. I think schools should literally take a week out of, or you know how to I mean, take take a couple hours out of a school day, and y'all going to watch, sit here and watch this whole series. See, I like, I, I liked 13, I liked and disliked 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. Like, I think it was important. I think, Things like that are important. Yeah, I think people need to see the type of stuff that happens in, mm-hmm. you know, in in schools, especially when when suicides in, in play. Like, I just think this whole situation is really sad. To be honest, yeah, like, for sure. it's really awful that like, man, like kids are really out here just trying to get an education, mm-hmm. and like we we brought the Islamophobia speaker Esra, um, and she spoke about nine eleven, and she and she was um, she's Muslim. And she talked about like what it was like growing up, like in middle school and high school, right when nine eleven happened. Mm. And she talked about how how when it happened that like they her and her sisters got called to the office, and she was like, "No, like I come from an immigrant household, like we don't get called to the office, like we don't. People don't. People barely know we here. We do yeah. what we got to do. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? We stay out of we stay out of trouble. We got we get our grades, but they called both of us to the office and told us to pack our stuff and go home. And they asked us what was going on. Uh, we was asking them what was going on, and it was like, um, I think this is a conversation for your mom. What? And they get and the mom pulled up. She's like bawling mm-hmm. and like she's been crying. She's like telling them to get in the car. Yeah. And it's just like and then she tells story about like. How someone was like throwing piss on her, and the mom? No, throw on 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 her like throughout the school. Oh, and because she, I mean, at the time, all the like Muslim students was getting pulled out and just doing just homes, going home. to homeschool. Oh no, um, but they they stayed, and so kids was like would throw piss at them and like get like rocks and like uh, sticks and poking at like the hijabs and things like that, and so not only like. Yeah. We just have to do better at like teaching our kids to treat everyone. I know. It's like the goal is to get the parents to care. Or it's so crazy how media can influence almost anything. Yeah. Like nine eleven happens and all of a sudden Muslims all Muslims in the world are treat you know what I mean? Like it's so crazy how quick it can happen too. Like do you know you know kids have to learn, right? Kids have to have a source to get something from. And it's really the parents. It is the parents, and it's also so sad because you talk about kids having like having to have a source, and I feel like it's so hard. Like I feel like at the, at universities, at colleges, at schools, we really need to be teaching. This guy used to know he um, he teaches. He goes around, he speaks, and he teaches about the art of belonging, mm-hmm. about how how students do better when they feel like they belong, and I think that's important. I feel like, especially as a black queer student who mom like 
if I don't talk to my mama every day or as often, I don't talk to her every day, but often she texts me and it's like, Michael, like I'm, she dead ass be worried about me. Mm. Like I, <laughs> like I went to one of my mentors, uh, rent and she was like, how many people did you tell you was leaving? Mm. Did you go by yourself next time? Bring somebody else. Yeah. Right. Like I'm sure he's a great guy, but you know, he could be used to set you up for something mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? And the experience was real cool. Like I got to, you know, help him with chores and walk courses around. So it was really relaxing. But like situations where I don't even think about that could be dangerous. Uh-huh. My mom is like, so you're driving how long, how far out Yeah, to do this with, you know, your mentor, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you're alone and you're doing all this. And it's like. Yeah, you have to be careful of everything, and 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 that's and that's crazy because I thought to myself, it's like if I was this paranoid about everything, how could I live? Yeah, like how can you functionally live if you and I, and this is why I said like I I feel like I can't talk without the people feel like I'm race baiting or fear mongering, but right. like literally when your skin tone and your sexuality affects every decision you make, yeah, how can you live a functional life if mm-hmm. you're worried about like surviving every moment of the day especially when you know the a big percentage of the population doesn't love you i remember muhammad ali was doing this interview and muhammad ali uh disclaimer he really don't mess with white people like mm-hmm. that <laughs> and th- but there's a reason muhammad ali doesn't and what he said was if right now right a group of just like this big massive group of snakes was to come in this room right mm-hmm. and out of the snakes all of them were poisonous, but one snake, right? There's just one snake and all these snakes that isn't poisonous. Or would you let the whole snake, you know what I mean? Would you let all the snakes in? Or would you, or you know what I'm saying? Try to find the one that wouldn't Yeah, win. try to find the one, yeah. And so it's like really interesting that, I know it feels like a lot of times you're like navigating a pit of snakes. Mm. It's so much hate in the world that, it's almost, we we're like hoping that this is a good snake. <laughs> this is like a snake that isn't poisonous a lot of times, and that's kind of like the situ. I think that's why your mom is, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. so worried. She's like, "All right, so my son is at this college, right? And there's no guarantee that this college something won't happen because things happen at college all the time, right. especially in the middle of Kansas." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so your mom, your mom probably has this notion of like, "All right, there's all these snakes out here that's poisonous. I'm going." Make sure my son is around these non-poisonous snakes. You know what I mean? That's right. only so much you can do. And it's just, and it's just so hard. Like, and this is, and, and I think, and this is my dilemma, right? Like, my white friends know I love all of them. My white friends, my white kids, my residents. Like, I people know I love white people, but like, I and and that's so hard because it's like, as a black person, a lot of times you feel like you're so paranoid, and it's like, and then one of your white friends to say something that's like questionable and then it's like do you just like keep adding like text to the to the score yeah or do you like try to correct them or like is it you know what i'm saying so it's Mm -hmm. like so this is why like (laughs) like i think my black friends are so important it's Mm -hmm. like they're my ride my or die and i have my my co-conspirators too that i know like got me and I don't know, it's yeah, it's so exhausting. And this semester has been that. Like, it has been that for me. Like it's it's been so exhausting trying to like like Dad said, trying to figure out the non poisonous snakes in the batch of poisonous snakes. Yeah. Um, so you can like strike effective change mm-hmm. like on campus for me. It's like all right, so once I identify these, but then it's like you start identifying snakes and you see all these poisonous snakes in the organization that you're trying to spark change from. It's like, mm-hmm. damn, do you have to kill all the snakes before you can do something? <laughs> I know, right? Or do you just have to, like, put the snakes in a, in a jar mm-hmm. for the time being? Or do you just, like, walk through it? And it's okay to get bit as long as you, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. don't die. Okay, you need the, the anti-venom. Exactly. It was like it was like how long does this anti venom work? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you just navigate these spaces. You just keep getting bit. But you know, like, to make change, you're gonna have some war wounds, I guess. Yeah. Um that's honestly what it is. Again, we talked about this mm-hmm. uh on a campus like this, when you speak out, people see that and a lot of people don't like that. And so 
it's like, do I go out and change the world or attempt to change the world and potentially get hurt or, you know what I mean? Something happens to me or do I sit quiet and be safe? And then you see, and it's almost kind of hard to do it too. Cause it's like you, when you see big companies come out and do it, like Gillette, when they came out oh, with yeah. the, the, the commercial about like the whole, we need to, stop toxic masculinity right yeah. like we need to stop saying boys would be boys and allowing boys to you know get away with the stuff that they're saying they do and how they treat women and stuff like that and how we promote this this notion of toxic masculinity within little boys and stuff like that and how we need to stop doing it the backlash of all these men i'm going to stop buying razors and then nike and all these people Ooh. cutting the nike sign out of the out of the oh socks my God. or like it's just it's just so many situations where like People try to make stands, and it's it's so <laughs> the snakes identify themselves, mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah. I don't know. Don't nobody look crazy, but the people who's got Nike signs out they <laughs> out they signs <laughs> out they are look Nike them. Nike rich. They can take a small hit. You know what I mean? They, I think I like the idea that this company is they're more ambitious to make a statement than to be afraid to how much money they lose. And I think the and and I think on a college campus like this, we can we can kind of associate ourselves with companies, right? Like not to be like, not to be like super cocky or anything, but like on the K-State's campus, I would say that I'm like a a Nike, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have the social capital to lose, right? Like I spent so long, like gaining all this social capital just by being involved or whatever, Mm -hmm. where something happened, like the TPUSA thing that happened, I can afford to lose some social capital, right? I can afford some of these snakes to be mad at me, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas some people on campus, they say something, they're canceled, mm-hmm. or they don't, they don't look at them the same, yeah. or they're race baiting, or they're not fit for these positions, mm-hmm. or they shouldn't be doing that. And y'all, it's just tight. This semester has literally been me fighting to like find some motivation to continue to like to continue to promote or try to promote effective change Mm -hmm. so i've been really trying to dive into like dive into like myself and my psyche and my and build on my relationships because Mm -hmm. right now the relationships are the only thing that's keeping me afloat and i know you and i know you probably can feel the same because especially this last week you've been blessing the campus with all of these awesome events y'all had your barbecue yesterday Mm -hmm. and then y'all had Y'all club KT Friday. Yeah, man. So. Super tired, but I'm just happy people came out and enjoyed. That's what fueled me (laughs) this past week. Because you can put so much work into something, but if nobody likes it, then it's like, dang, what did I do this for? I know, but for sure, like, stuff like the barbecue is, like, especially important. Because, like, you have people, especially when we haven't had something like that in a while, people just come together to fellowship. And and spaces like that, Mm -hmm. it's like are like recharging stations right like you come you can celebrate your blackness and do your own thing without fear of judgment without fear of just like of anything but like you can be crazy you can be loud you can eat you can do whatever and just you can like yesterday we was playing tag like outside biggest tag i've ever seen it's ever seen and it was just so wild and smart i remember just walking outside and somebody just walked up to me and was like you're it everyone just started running and i was just like what (laughs) (laughs) and so like stuff like that is yeah it was like a state of solace man yeah we're like you don't have to think too hard where you don't have to be hyper aware of everything yeah it's like it's like driving and never knowing who's in your blind spot Mm -hmm. or what's around you yeah y'all i'm tired i'm tired of just going <laughs> like whew, so this is what this episode is <laughs> it's just like this is a rant <laughs> this is a rant this has been a rant this has definitely been a rant ain't nothing wrong with that though so so what's in the theaters this what's happening as far as the world in the world of movies man so i didn't get to go see uh la yorna this weekend mm-hmm. It's not doing that well, though. <laughs> I can see it's not doing that well, but I still want to see it. Oh, but this week, let me tell you what is happening this week, y'all. Avengers Endgame <laughs> comes out this week. I think this is about to be the biggest movie premiere of all time. Bigger than Avatar. Bigger than Infinity War. Bigger than the first Avenger. This is about to be the biggest 
premiere. I'm pretty sure like pre-sale tickets have passed most movies in history. Yay. The movie hasn't even came out yet, and theaters are already sold out for like three days in some places. And yep, I'm just excited for Avengers Endgame. The nerd in me can't wait. I need to make sure I got me my Infinity War shirt ready to go. Uh-huh. I'm going to go see it Thursday night. If you haven't, buy your ticket, y'all. This is all you're going to be hearing about for the past month, probably. Go buy your ticket for Avengers Endgame while you have the chance. Don't let it be spoiled on Twitter. That's why I'm going Thursday. I always go Thursday. I always go to premieres. But make sure you go see it. Avengers Endgame this weekend. Make it happen. This is history in the making. It's about to happen. That's how we got on movies? I think that's for me. Okay, so I'm not caught up on Game of Thrones yet, but oh, I saw look. that this Oof. next episode is supposed to be like the so, longest. Oh yeah, so season three of or see, oof. season eight. So season eight of Game of Thrones will be is I believe the highest budgeted um, season for television of all time, right? Mm-hmm. And this next episode, episode three. I believe is known to be the highest budgeted episode for a TV show of all time. Even even bigger, not even just a TV show, even a movie. It's supposed to be bigger than the the Helm's Deep um, run on Lord of the Rings. But this is also supposed to be the episode that they've put the most money into. And it's just going to be wild. Yes, it, it says that episode three of season eight. Battle of Winterfell will feature the longest battle sequence in film or TV history. Yeah, the episode is 82 minutes, I believe. Yikes. 82 minutes, y'all. This is... It has the most characters in this yeah. episode since the pilot. Yeah. It's going to be... This is about to be epic. I'm so excited. <laughs> so you got a week. Man, I get in-game, and I'm about to get this Game of Thrones episode. There's yeah. just so much going on. I, I can't wait for this Game of Thrones episode, especially someone who's been a fan for so long, y'all. Like, the anticipation is insane. So, episode two came out yesterday, Sunday, and it was kind of slow. But mm-hmm. it was slow because so much money probably has been put into, you know what I mean, episode, episode three. three. or But it was also slow, you know, for the buildup, right? All these characters are together for the uh, for the first time or, yeah, in this in this area. And they're all trying to get their little sense of peace before all hell breaks loose in this next episode so even though it was slow technically it's a really good context episode and yeah if you haven't caught up on game of thrones everyone needs to do it before this next week please catch up on game of Th- like if you haven't caught up on game of thrones do it right now at this very moment turn on get your hbo find your friends hbo and catch up on game of thrones because this is about to be one of the craziest things ever on television yeah it seems exciting i i wonder how many people are gonna die <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. How many people are going to die? Mm-mm-mm. I guess we'll find out, man. I'm scared. Because the Game of Thrones, the goal is to, for new Game of Thrones watchers, never have a favorite character. Just don't do it. Save mm-hmm. save your emotions. Save your heart. Save your time. And just don't have a favorite character. Maybe you can like some people. Just like them. Because you never know what's going to happen at all. It's so funny because I was taking my exam today. And... <laughs> and one of the que- my my professor put so this is the question it says Volc- it's from my geography class volcanism in the middle of tectonic plates is usually the result of the first the first answer co- choice is Daenerys Targaryen and then the rest is like hot spots and cratons and other volcano stuff uh-huh. but the first one was Daenerys Targaryen that's pretty funny <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious yeah no it's tight people are putting Game of Thrones in there it's the greatest show of all time. <laughs> People get mad at me when I say that, but it is the greatest show of all time. And I love, you know what I mean? A lot of people say The Wire. The Wire, of course. It's sensational. It's amazing. But I still don't think nothing can ever live up to what Game of Thrones is or what Game of Thrones, the type of legacy Game of Thrones is about to leave behind. It's going to be hard to top this. All right. But also this week in music. Oh, it's a, there's been a lot of music. Man, we get this. I get this Schoolboy Q album this week, and I'm so ready. I'm one of the biggest TDE fans I know, and I just know. So um, after the death of Nipsey, mm-hmm. uh, YG pushed back his album, yeah. and Schoolboy Q pushed back his album because we were actually supposed to get it a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and now Nipsey's coming out this week, man. So we get I get Game of Thrones, Endgame, and Schoolboy a uh, Schoolboy Q album. 
And so and last week we got the Beyonce Homecoming live album, Ooh. which has forty songs on it. Yep. And it's just the entire performance, but just in song form. And this just is incredible. Like this entire yeah. past week has has been Beyonce. Right. And not only that, but she gave us our new our new barbecue banger. Yes, she did. That before I let go live. Ooh, they re ooh. Yeah, they they murdered that. And then she added a verse. Okay. Beyonce said, I, I deserve to be here. In this song. Pull up the code I yeah, actually wanted I wanted to do a studio version. That way when it plays at the barbecue, it sounds how we need it. To it sound. You know what I mean? Beyonce, if you hear this, we should probably whatever will. Beyonce, if you hear this, please make a studio <laughs> version of your "Before I Let Go." We need that in the culture. We need it because that's definitely our our barbecue song. Yeah, put doing electric slide to it and everything. But folks, that's been another episode of Challenge Noir. This reminder that we love y'all. Check on y'all strong friends because they go through things too. And see y'all next time. Every nigga is a star. Every nigga is a star. Who will deny that you and I and every nigga is a star?